Our scripture reading today is uh, from Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 30. It's also short and sweet, but there's a lot of, uh, a lot of heavy stuff in it and a lot of grace in it as well. Verse 27, it says, You have heard that it was said, Do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. All right. Well, we're in this series where we've been talking about, you know, this I am free concept. And we've, we started out by saying that we're free from legalism. That uh, we don't find this good life that, that Jesus offers us uh, by following a set of rules, but by following the Spirit. And, and so we experience freedom in that way. That we are very different from Judaism and these other religions that set forth a set of rules and laws that you are to follow in order to be right with God. That uh, Jesus brought a new covenant and a new way of relating to God and reset things so that the pathway to freedom and the pathway to this life that God desires for us is found by following His Spirit instead of following a set of rules. But we also have been emphasizing what people like the Apostle Paul emphasized, that we are not to use that freedom as an opportunity for our flesh. And so we've been talking this week and last week about freedom from sin as well. Freedom from things, the desires of our flesh that get in the way of the life that God is calling us to. We're kidding ourselves if we call it freedom when in fact we can't say no to our flesh. When there are things about us, whether it's, uh, whether it's what you, you know, that brownie you want to eat, or whether it's uh, something sexual like we're talking about today, or anything else that comes up in your life that's a life-controlling issue, uh, you're not really free if you don't have the power to say no. And many of us know that feeling, I think all of us know that feeling, with some aspect of our life, where we know that what we're doing isn't right or best for us or for someone else, and yet we feel powerless to stop. We might tell ourselves that we could if we wanted to, but we don't <laughs> want to. We want that. And we're powerless to tell ourselves not to, even when we know what we ought to do. Even when we want to do what we ought to do, yet we want something else more. So we've been talking about this. How do we find freedom in this situation? And this is a perfect topic for today on our Freedom Sunday because uh, Freedom Sunday deals with this issue of human trafficking, sex trafficking, the sex industry, uh, this huge business that is booming in our day and time across the globe. And the truth of the matter is, uh, that the reason there are so many sex slaves is because there are so many slaves to sex. That this is a heart issue first. That if there was no uh, demand, then there'd be no supply. But there is a huge demand. And so there is a growing supply. The problem of lust in our world is not something that the church is immune from. And we've seen enough studies that have come out by groups like Barna and different research groups to know that even in a, a survey where you could say what you want, 
there's pretty shocking numbers when you see how many men and women are trapped by this issue of lust, whether you want to talk pornography or other issues that they deal with. This is a life-controlling issue for many people. Many people in ministry that are trying to help other people with issues like this struggle with issues like this. And, and this is partly the condition of our heart and things that people have struggled with, obviously since Jesus' day, since he's talking about it. And it's compounded by the nature of the world that we live in today. And this is a big part of Lindsay's ministry, is making people aware of how things are different nowadays and how uh, you know, technology makes it so that like, you don't even have to go looking for it, it comes looking for you. And our, our young people are finding this out, and parents are finding this out sometimes the hard way. I speak with parents all the time that I, you know, I mean, I consider them awesome parents that have been blindsided by their kids getting into stuff like some of the most protective parents I can imagine. And yet they're blindsided by their young child encountering stuff that they just didn't see coming. It's just about impossible to guard your child from every possible thing that can go wrong. And that is something that's scary as a parent. What we have to do is come to the heart of the matter, just as Jesus did, and talk about uh, not only how to prevent these things from happening. Obviously, prevention of those kinds of encounters, that's, that's a plus. We should shoot for that. But we should also equip one another with the tools to find freedom in this area of your life. Chances are, large percentages and maybe even growing percentages of the generations to come are going to fight this battle against lust in a way that previous generations didn't have to, even though it was still an issue then. And so we've got to learn how to set people free, how to offer freedom in Jesus' name to people who are finding themselves trapped by lust in their life. Now maybe this isn't an issue for you. In this season of your life, uh, lust is not on your you know, top five list. You know, maybe it's brownies, I don't know. <laughs> so uh, whatever the case is, the principles that we talk about today uh, will apply to some aspect of your life. There's, there's something in your life that you have a hard time saying no to. And what we talk about today will apply to you as well. But not only that, uh, even if you're in a season of your life where you don't feel like this is an issue, people you know and care about, this is an issue for them. And they may not bring it into the light very often. It's not something that anyone likes to bring into the light. So you may not even be aware of it. But let's just say, statistically speaking, there's a large percentage of the people in this room and a large percentage of the people in your families and in your networks of friends that feel trapped by lust. And so we should be praying for them and we should be aware of the issue so that we can help when we have the opportunity to, regardless of whether it's a personal issue for you. So let's talk for a few minutes about uh, this topic. This is not a day of judgment or condemning anyone. Uh, this is a day of offering hope. Uh, we all have our battles to fight. And, and none of us can stand in a judgment seat and look at another person that's struggling with something different than what we struggle with and say, uh, hey, look how bad you are. So uh, we're all trying to follow Jesus and we all have battles we need to fight. And many of us have experienced this battle at some point in our life if we're not in the trenches of it now. And I'm one that can testify to that as well. And so we're going to offer hope today 
that you don't have to be a slave to your sexuality. So Jesus shares these words. Uh, Jesus doesn't mess around, does he? (laughs) This is a collection of teachings called the Sermon on the Mount. And this is one piece of that. And in this set of teachings, one of the things that Jesus does is he takes a command that everyone in his audience was familiar with, often from the Ten Commandments, and then he turns it around and does something, he does a lot with it in a short amount of time. Jesus has a way of saying just a few words and getting a whole lot of points across, and I know you wish that I could do that too, but I'm not Jesus. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This, is, uh, this ties back to what we talked about week one, about freedom from legalism. And we talked about how the law is powerless. Powerless to change lives. It doesn't mean that the law is bad or bad advice or unwise. It just means that it's powerless. And, and so take, for instance, the law, you shall not commit adultery. Jesus reveals here that that law is powerless to address the heart of the issue. That law, do not commit adultery, you could follow it to the letter of the law successfully and still deal with lust on the inside and adultery in your heart. And in fact, that's exactly what people were doing. The people that Jesus were talking to, was talking to. In particular, there's this group of people that are now famous because Jesus picked on them all the time, called Pharisees, that were adamant about following the law. They had following the rules down to an art. And yet they were some of the most corrupt individuals around. Now how can that be? It's because the law is powerless to set you free from sin. So, you can imagine this group of guys, this self-righteous group, so pompous, so prideful in their self-righteousness, all their acts and deeds of righteousness, all their, way, you know, their habit of following the law and all the rules on top of the law and doing so very publicly so that everyone can see how good they are. And yet you can also imagine those same guys casting glances at the young women that come by. They're not disobeying any law. They're following the law to the team. I mean, they're not going to sleep with her. And if they do, it'll be legal. They'll divorce their wife first. Jesus addressed these people. And he showed them what was really going on. That that the law, following the law, is powerless to save you. You need a change at your heart. Jesus would teach that in order for a tree to bear good fruit, You have to make the roots good. You have to make the tree good. It needs to be a good tree. Good fruit comes from a good tree. Bad fruit inevitably comes from a bad tree. And so in our lives, if we want a pure heart and good fruit to come forth, then we have to address things at the heart level. And Jesus came to address the heart of the problem. 
it would be impossible to address the issue of lust legally. Can you imagine trying to pour out the entire set of laws necessary to prevent people from engaging in lustful activity? Thou shalt not look at pornography. Thou shalt not look at that woman that way. <laughs> you should not look at that man that way. You should not think about doing that. Right? Like, in the privacy of your home, you should not do... How are you going to enforce these laws? I saw that look. <laughs> and I think that look was bad. I'm going to drag you off to prison. Laws can't fix a person's heart. And a corrupt heart will always find a way around a law. And so Jesus... Jesus was necessary. His arrival on the scene was necessary and it was part of God's plan to set his people free. And I believe that you don't have to be a slave to your sexuality. That's our statement today. It's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. It's a, a declaration by faith. And it's something that I can testify to as well, at a personal level, and many other Christians as well, that you don't have to be a slave to your sexuality. You can be in a moment where it feels like you are and that there's no other choice. But that's a lie from Satan. Anything in your life that feels impossible to get out of, that's simply not true. Because nothing is impossible for God. And God is in the business of setting people free. Of forgiveness. Forgiveness with a purpose. Forgiveness so that you can find freedom in your life. Now the next thing Jesus says after this is pretty shocking. Sorry, that's the wrong one. He said... If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Oh, thanks for that picture, Jesus. <laughs> it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Jesus actually said Gehenna. People substituted the word hell later. And I could get into that and take a long time with it. But Gehenna was a place outside the gates with an ugly history in Israel's past. And at that moment in time, it was the refuse pit. And where they threw the dead bodies of murderers and criminals and the like. It was the place where things went to die and rot and burn. It was that place. So, uh, just it had a more, uh, it had a different picture for their minds than what hell has for our minds. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into Gehenna. For you to be thrown out. Okay, that's pretty drastic, Jesus. Just, <laughs> if you've got a problem looking lustfully at people, gouge out an eye. If you've got a you know, other problems in your life, in your sexual life, then, you know, maybe cut off a body part. My goodness. It seems like the point is that drastic action is needed. 
Jesus isn't saying this obviously in a literal sense because in order to do any good by gouging out body parts, you'd have to gouge out both eyes, right? <laughs> I mean, why stop at one? But drastic action is needed. There are things in your life that you may have to cut out of your life that seems drastic. Like, why would I do that? Have you ever heard of someone who wanted to be free bad enough that they canceled their cable subscription? Or stopped getting on the internet completely? Sometimes you want to be free bad enough. You, sometimes your struggle is bad enough that you need to do something drastic. It may not be one of those things. For some people it is. And they decide that it would be better to live that way than to live enslaved by something. But we're going to talk a little bit about how this plays out practically. But I want you to think about something. Why would such drastic action be necessary? Why would it be worthwhile? I want you to rank the following in your mind in order of what you would prefer for humanity. I'm going to give you three things to rank in your mind. What would you prefer for humanity's uh, existence? To be filled, would you prefer for humanity to be filled with adulterous people who just don't care? Like, I'll do what I want. Would you, be, would you prefer for humanity to be filled with adulterous people who try to do better? Or would you prefer for humanity to be filled with people who are no longer adulterous to start with? If you had a choice, how would you rank that? Of course, there's part of us that screams that's not possible. And again, nothing is impossible for God. You don't have to be a slave to your sexuality. Jesus came and he offered hope. He offered a different way. Instead of following the rules, he offered his spirit to set you free. I just simply cannot believe that, and we'll talk about this more at the end, but I cannot believe that God would sacrifice so much to forgive us and then leave us in the same situation that we were in. That makes no sense to me. That we're just supposed to continue on in our pitiful existence with all of our problems that no hope of freedom on this side of heaven doesn't make sense to me. So whether this issue, whether your issue is your sexuality and lust, or whether it's something else in your life, know that you don't have to be a slave to it. Jesus made that clear in his teachings, and we're going to talk about uh, some practical measures that you can take, biblical steps, steps that have been taken by Christians through the years that are in line with what Jesus taught here. The first thing that you may need to do if you're a slave to something, including this issue, is to confess it. To admit it. 
to say, this is an issue for me. And probably to confess it to somebody. That's really uncomfortable, I know, especially on this topic of sexuality and lust. But look, there's a reason why every 12-step program that's trying to free someone from something, whether it's Alcoholics Anonymous or whatever, involves confessing to a person. Sin loves the darkness. Righteousness loves the light. It's pretty simple and straightforward. And so if you're dealing with sin in your life, the last thing that it wants and the last thing that your flesh wants is for that to come into any kind of light. It would prefer to remain hidden. And this is why it's so hard to break free of it when it's hidden. I don't know who you need to tell. Hopefully you have someone in your life that you can trust that's on your side, that's a a Jesus follower too, that wouldn't judge you or condemn you, would hold this in confidence with you and pray for you and hold you accountable. I hope that you have someone in in your life like that, but you may not. And one of the things that has been brought to my attention that we don't maybe do as well in uh, Protestant culture as maybe, maybe groups like Catholics do is provide an outlet for confession when you need it. Uh, now, I'm not talking about the assigning of you know, this many Hail Marys or whatever, but I, someone that you can go to in confidence and say, this is on my heart. I think people need that. So maybe you can think through who is that person in my life I just want to say, if you get through the end of your list and you can't think of anyone in your life that is uh, safe to talk to about it, that I am a safe person to talk to about it. And the same rules that apply to Catholic priests apply to us as far as confidentiality and that kind of thing. And so you can share with me in confidence, uh, unless it's like a mandated reporting thing, then, uh, you know, it's involving a minor, then... I'm good to go on keeping it in confidence. You can text me. You can stop by the office and talk to me um, in confidence. And it can be between me and you, but at least you can begin to get this out in the light. So I challenge you to do that. If this is an issue for you in your life right now, um, then you can talk to a sympathetic ear and someone who's been there and fought that fight and still fights that battle uh, to stay free and someone who's not going to judge you, and someone who can hold it in confidence. And so if you don't know someone else like that, make it a point this week to come into the light, at least take a step into the light, and that's a first step. Until we're willing to acknowledge it for what it is, and confess it into the light, it's going to be very hard to find freedom from it. Beyond that, there's this thing that Jesus talked about, this drastic action, which that sounds drastic enough, right? Just taking a step into the light. But this drastic action of cutting something out of your life. There are disciplines that Jesus and his apostles practiced and that Christians through the years have practiced that are involved. That's what they are. They, you're cutting something out of your life. And sometimes we call those disciplines of abstinence. And we talked about one last week with regard to fasting. Cutting eating out of your life for a period of time in order to find freedom from it. And we talked last week about how when you're fasting, uh, you know, if food is an issue for you and that kind of thing, well, you can pray as you fast and as you feel those hunger pains, you pray to God, God, I need you more than I need this food. Uh, This, my stomach, is not my God. You are my God. And it's a powerful process that you go through of partnering with the Holy Spirit 
It's not that it's some magic bullet. It's putting yourself in position for God's power to work in your life. And you step forward from that moment knowing that God is able to see you through something that he's able to give you the power to say no to things that maybe before were an issue for you and you begin to grow into freedom with the help of his Holy Spirit. People have been practicing these kinds of things and these activities for a long time. And a similar one with regard to sexuality is sometimes called chastity uh, or just abstinence or whatever. And Christians through the ages from the first century have, as a, as a discipline and as a practice, taken a break from all sexuality in the same way that fasting is taking a break from all food, even good normal eating food. Uh, so Christians for a season will set aside all sexuality and abstain from it, even healthy intermarriage sexuality for a season to gain uh, self-control in this area, to gain freedom in this area so that they're not ruled by the desires of their flesh. We know this is a fact because the Apostle Paul referenced it in a letter to Corinthians, uh, the church in Corinthians, where some people were feeling like they had to abstain permanently from all sexuality. And, and Paul would say, no, that's what marriage is for. <laughs> that's good to do that, but if you take a break for a minute and then come back to it, you know. So uh, he gave practical advice on, yes, it's okay to practice this as a spiritual discipline in your life. Uh, in order to find freedom from your sexual desires and your lusts, but come back to your spouse and, and do marriage together, right? So you don't have to be a slave to your sexuality. First, you can confess. Second, you can practice cutting things out of your life. And maybe it is just taking a break from everything sexual. Both what you look at and what you do, your behavior. Even in the most private moments, you, you choose that maybe it just starts with, for this week, cutting everything out that's remotely sexual. I'm just not even going to go there for a week. You can do that just as easily as someone can not eat for a day. It's the same thing. You're making a choice. I'm cutting this out of my life for a season to learn that I have power in Christ. And you pray the same kinds of prayers. God, I need you more than I need these lustful thoughts. I need you more than I need my sexuality. I find my identity in you, not my sexuality. My sexuality is not my God. You are my God. You pray these prayers and you practice cutting something out of your life. It may be that there are things in your life that you need to cut out more permanently as well. You may need to put in accountability measures that seem extreme. But this is an addiction for many people the same way that alcoholism is an addiction for many people. It affects the brain the same way, chemicals the same way. It's the same kind of issue. You don't find any uh, pornography rehab centers, at least I haven't seen any. Uh, and yet, <laughs> we could use them because it's the same process that you need to go through. And so, if that takes drastic measures to cut alcohol out of your life, then you can expect that it'll take drastic measures to cut this issue out of your life as well. We have entire generations that are growing up with, without the ability to relate and bond in relationships the way that humans are born able to do, right? They're, 
That's what this does. It changes your brain. Like they can observe it with brain imaging of how your brain is changed by looking at things like pornography, of lustful thinking, and all that. And it erodes your ability for intimacy. It erodes your ability to bond with another person in those intimate ways. I ran across this quote. Romance and marriage are too much work when sex and pornography are a swipe or click away. The pornified mind, I think that may be an invented word, but (laughs) you get the gist. The pornified mind cannot be bothered with the adornment of foreplay, much less the patient and constant pursuit of one's spouse. That was written by a guy named Matthew Lee Anderson in an article. It caught my attention. And we have generations that are growing up with this uh, being normalized. They say like 90% of our young people view pornography and things like that as normative. So they're growing up with this and we have entire generations that aren't going to understand how to bond with human beings. Maybe we're already seeing this with the whole sex robot thing. I don't know if you've seen that in the news, but it's becoming a thing. It's going to become more of a thing. Eventually people are going to lose track of how to bond intimately with another human being, it appears. So as believers, and as the church, we're called to be something different. And we're called to a better way of life. We're called to freedom. And you don't have to be a slave to your sexuality. You can confess and come into the light. You can practice these disciplines. Uh, In our circles, I was going to hand you, I think I'll hand it out over there, a little note card uh, that has this verse written on it. Philippians 4.8 And if this is an issue for you, your thought life is an issue for you, Really, any aspect of your thought life, whether it's lust-oriented or anxiety-oriented or whatever, this would be a good one for you to memorize. And I'm going to give you a tool to memorize it real quick here as we wrap up. It says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Sometimes issues like lust feel impossible to us because they're so feelings oriented and these feelings crop up in our lives and we don't have control over those feelings good luck stopping feeling something you know i felt mad yesterday you ever feel mad and it's not like i can just say i'm going to stop feeling mad now ah right And it's the same way with lust. You have these feelings crop up in you and it would be nice if you could just say, I'm going to stop feeling that way now. And it just went away. But it doesn't. But what we do have control over that affects feelings is our thoughts. Sometimes we pretend that we don't have control over those either. Sometimes thoughts crop up in our minds unbidden, right? We didn't ask for that thought to come there. But we have control over it. We can continue to think about it, or we can set it aside as many times as necessary. We have control over our thought life. Would you agree? There are things that you can choose to continue thinking about, and things that you can choose to think something different. Julie is awesome at this, and it's a blessing to me as a husband, because when I do something terrible, she starts arguing with herself on my behalf. It works great. 
<laughs> so, so she thinks, that man is such a jerk. Why does he do that? Well, you know, maybe he's feeling this way. Like, you have control over what you think. You can go down that path and say, yep, he is a jerk. Or you can choose to think something different. You have control in your thought life. And Scripture teaches us about how to take control of our thoughts, how to take them captive and move them in a different direction. And this is a tool for you. Use it to transform your mind, the way you think, and then it'll transform, your feelings will follow your thought life. So this is an easy one to remember because especially if you like music and you're familiar with musical terms at all, um, this is the way that I think my dad may have come up with this because I memorized this as a kid in my home. And if I can memorize it as a kid in my home and still remember it all these years later when I've forgotten almost everything else that I ever knew, then you can remember this too. Uh, so the acronym that we used was Tenor Play. And then I thought about this, the, the excellent and praiseworthy, if you're familiar with EP, is a, is a term for a short album, an extended play, uh, single. So if you're into music, you know, maybe that helps you. So Tenor Play EP is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. It's a checklist to go through. Is this thought that I'm having, is it true? Or is it based on a lie? Is it noble? Is it gentlemanly or ladylike? Is it right? Or is it wrong? Is it pure? Or does it feel dirty? Is it lovely? Does it have anything to do with love? Or is it just selfish? Is it admirable? If I saw this in someone else, would I look up to it as something admirable, an admirable quality in them? Is it excellent or praiseworthy? If it doesn't meet that criteria, then set that thought aside and choose something that is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. And think about that instead. You don't have to be a slave to your sexuality. God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die on a cross for you and for me so that we can be forgiven, yes. Why are people forgiven? Why is a debt forgiven? Say there's someone tied up in debt, up to their ears in debt, and their debt is forgiven graciously. Why? Is their debt forgiven so that they can go back out and get in debt again? Or is it so that they can have a fresh start to try and do it differently this time? Which would have been really difficult for them if they had been still strapped by all that debt. But now they have a free shot at a free existence. Why are prisoners set free? And these prisoners that Lindsay's group works with and other groups go and they work with, and these people are sometimes, they have their uh, sentence ended early for various reasons, or they're out on parole early. Why? Why are they set free? Why, are they, why is their sentence forgiven early? So that they can go out and commit the same crimes? I refuse to believe that our God sent Jesus Christ 
to die for your sins so that you can be forgiven for the sin that you continuously wallow in until you get to heaven. He came to set the prisoners free. He came to set us free from sin and you do not have to be a slave to your sexuality or to your appetite or to anything else that has you uh, strapped down and bending to its will. You have no other master but the Spirit of God. So don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. How many times does Scripture say that? Be strong and courageous. Take up the armor of God. Get in the fight. Freedom is always worth fighting for. And I believe you can be free from pornography. I believe you can be free from lustful thoughts and actions. And I believe you can be free from inappropriate relationships. If you don't know Jesus, this God who came and died and gave up his life for us, if you don't know that forgiveness, that's step one. If you do, step into the light and find freedom. Cut out what needs to be cut out of your life. And let's begin to live free together. Next week we're going to talk about freedom from fear. And that's a big one for a lot of people too. But let's pray together today. Father, we thank you. We thank you for sexuality. This good thing that you created with wise boundaries for our good. But we confess also how easy it is to fall into temptation in this area of our life. And we know that we're in good company with many believers who've struggled in this battle. Holy Spirit, we also know that many have found freedom by your help. And so we ask it now in our lives. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.